Boom, we're back. Welcome back to another edition of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's today's guest is Waratah Captain Jake Gordon. I had a wonderful time talking to him. He was a seriously cool dude, really honest, open, and insightful into what it's like being captain of the Waratahs. You know, they're going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment, and after talking to him, I was absolutely convinced that he's the right man for the job. Anyway... I hope you guys enjoy it. I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Waratah Captain Jake Gordon. Today's episode is brought to you by the very best caffeine supplement on the market. Used by elite athletes all over the world, caffeine chewing gum is without a doubt one of the quickest and tastiest ways to get your caffeine in pre-workout or game. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. So everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. My missus has taken all the microphone stuff and one of the neighbours yeah. just started drilling five minutes ago. So <laughs> let's, let's, see, let's see how it goes, bro. Okay, awesome. Thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, it's been a tough month. Um, but the ankle's healing well. Um, I've had a bye week, so the boys had, had a bit of downtime, which has been good for the group. Uh, I'm just sort of... You know, poking along, but yes, improving the ankles on the way, so it's it's good. So it was a syndesmosis. Yeah, this the common one that everyone sort of does. It's a high ankle sprain. You'd obviously have an idea around it. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's when they, when they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, can't believe the drilling. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. If mate, if it if it becomes too annoying, we'll just bin it. Nah, man. I I'm uh. I'm, I'm more than happy to do it when it suits you, um, but I'm, I'm happy to keep it rolling if... Uh, well, if let's just... Man, I could cut it out. I've had to cut... Like, I did one with BPA, and he had little kids just bawling in the background, so we just we just cut it out, as long as you're cool with that. Um, do, you, do you get to go away at all, or are you just staying at home for the week? Well, I'm still in rehab. Um, so you're still working, on, really? Yeah, yeah. So I want to get back as soon as I can. Um, so I've been training this week, sort of doing some aqua, aqua stuff, some drilling, obviously to take the load out because I can't handle body weight stuff yet. So a few of the boys have got up until Thursday off, so they're back in at training tomorrow. But for me, it's been uh, still pretty full on. Okay, cool, mate. When when I first like got the opportunity to speak to you, I'm like, what should I talk to Jake about? And like, I don't really want to talk about the Waratahs because I feel like you're probably sick of talking about it. Um, <laughs> But it'd be weird if I didn't. So, how are you going? How how? What's the mood like in the group? What's it like being captain? You know, do the boys get affected by all the stuff going on? Um, look, it's been challenging. Like, you know, even when we're going okay at the best of times, Sydney's still on to us. So, look, I. That's a very nice way of saying. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's a tough environment here. Um, you know, when you think about it, if, if the Waratahs aren't performing, you've got, what, 10 other league teams you can follow. So, look, it's been tough, obviously, for the group and for myself. I find it challenging too, especially from the sideline. Um, and it's a new experience for me being a captain. Uh, never captain growing up or, or had any aspirations to be a captain. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be supported heavily by the, the playing group and the coaches. Um, and I, and I'm, I was excited for the challenge and still am. Um, but, you know, you look at where we're at as a group, 
very young team and, and I look at a lot of the individuals in that team, they progressed, fast forwarded their progression, you know, way ahead of time. You know, we have guys in our team that are lucky to play a handful of first grade games. And I think for the position that they're in, they, they're doing better than expected. I really do believe that. And, you know, I've, I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to almost play 100 games for uni. Um, and I and I debuted in Super Rugby at 23, and I think that's a natural progression of, of a player, and I think that's how it should be. Um, you know, I have fond memories of playing for Sydney Uni. I think that really uh, put me in good stead to be able to perform at a Super Rugby level. You know, I'd hate to be thrown in the mix at 20 years old and expect to, uh, you know, carry the Waratahs on your shoulders, which is a hard position to be in. Um, but, yeah, I think, obviously, for the group, it's since we're such a young team, it's a new experience. I've been involved in Waratahs teams that haven't performed before, and I've been involved in Waratahs teams that have. Um, but with a young group, I also think that um, it doesn't have as big an effect as it does for the guys that have been there for a long time who, I guess, are very passionate about the jersey. I'm not saying the younger guys aren't, but they're not exactly used to what comes with it. Um, but, you know, I, I do worry about the young guys, like I said, who have been progressed in front of their time by a massive amount. And I worry about, you know, the development they have. But, man, they're still training hard. And, and around the group, um, it's still a good vibe compared to what I thought it would have been like. You know, if you told me we would have been down three, not having won three games, and especially by the margin we had in the first two rounds, I honestly would have thought it would have a different effect on the group. But... You know, rugby's, rugby's a weird game. And, you know, we spoke about during the week putting some pride back in the jersey, which I know can be a throwaway comment. But, you know, I was really impressed by the way they played against the force who have, you know, some test experience and a pretty handy handy side across the park. I really think we improved. And it's a weird way to talk about rugby. You know, everyone wants results. But realistically, we need to focus on improving at the moment. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but that's, that's where we're at. No, it's not a weird thing. You know, I've been in teams that have performed badly as well, and it's almost like panic stations is the worst thing you can do. Mm. Instead of going, all right, we let's get better at defence, let's get fitter, yeah. let's get stronger. You know, having that uh, what do they call it, growth mindset about it, rather than yeah. just you know panicking. Yeah, we we had a real focus um, on individuals doing their job for the team. You know, like I think about a halfback. You're clear coming into a game. Your core skills have to be good. You catch pass, you kick. Obviously, you touch the ball the most in the, in the team and your decision-making. Obviously, when to hit back, when to release pressure, when to play short, when to play out the back. You know, for a hooker, I'd imagine it'd be scrummaging in your line-out throwing. Um, you know, I often think when, when things don't go right for teams, you worry about things that you actually have no control of. So, you know, uh, wingers worrying about, you know, what the scrum looks like, like in realis- realistically, you have no idea and you can't control what other people do. But if you focus on yourself and you focus about me, for example, hitting the chest when I pass, which is a simple thing, it makes a big difference. It allows guys to tip. It allows guys to shift their weight and ball carry. Um, it allows the outside backs probably half a second longer. Um, so that was a real focus for, our, for us as a team. I think we did a pretty good job of that. And I look at the last 20 minutes of that game, that's, that's for the taking. And, you know, I think... You know, I would have loved to have been out there. Uh, I've got a little bit more experience than some of the guys involved. Uh, but we're actually missing a little bit of experience. And I, you know, without, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think I can be beneficial for the team in those moments. So that was hard to watch. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, we're improving.
Mate, absolutely. And like something that I've become very aware of through observing and just paying attention over the years is that failure often leads to success. Mm. And the lessons the boys are learning now are going to lead to, it's going to progress them really, really fast and will lead to success down the future. It's just a little bit of short-term gain. Yeah. But I guess getting the group to see that's probably not the easiest thing for a 20, 21-year-old kid to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Especially when it's results, you know, they, everything's judged on results, but results don't always tell the full picture, if that no, makes sense. I agree. I agree. You know, and, you know, I think back to Sydney Uni in 2017 where they went off. We lost the grand final against North in, two, North in 2016. 2017 comes out, I don't make the finals. And, you know, for a pro club like Sydney Uni, that's the, like that is, that's alarm bells. And I look at, the transition of how many guys probably went on from the 16 team to play Super Rugby and Wallabies to then Rob Taylor filling the job from 2017 leading to 18 with the younger group. Uh, it feels the same um, in that transition period. And Rob Taylor did a great job of bringing guys through. And I've, funny enough that both their names are called Rob. Um, but, you know, Rob's, Rob is a great coach with great ideas. Um, you know, he's with a young group and he's doing his best. You know, I always think it's an easy option to pick the coach and, you know, have a go at him. But he's not the guy on the field dropping the ball, missing poor tackles, um, missing big moments in the game. You know, when do, when do players end up taking ownership for some of the stuff they do? Um, but it's very – I remember looking back on that squad in 17, that, that young uni team, they didn't make the finals in the transition to 18. They got rode off. We ended up playing that final against Ringo and winning 45-12. Um, but it's funny, you know, a powerful group with a little bit of momentum, how quickly things can change. Absolutely. Has anything surprised you about being captain? Um, no, I wouldn't say anything's really surprised me. I, what have I, how have I found it? Um, you know, to be honest, I've only done two games now. So I played, obviously played in that trial and then played the first game against the Reds. Um, no, I expected – I tell you what I have found surprising. Uh, the, the only thing really is the amount of media compared to when Fox were involved. I, mean, I obviously wasn't captain at the time. Um, yeah. But the amount of media you have to do now that Channel 9 and Stan are involved, they've done a great job so far. I think they've really um, helped influence the game and promote it. Um, you know, I see billboards that we haven't seen probably in – God, I can't even remember. Um, it's a shame my, my ugly mug's on it, but – you know, just the way they're, they're promoting the game is refreshing and great for the group. You know, you can see the spider cam. You see the, the pre-game goes for an hour. You know, the post-game, they even goes for God knows how long. But the coverage that they're actually doing and the insight they're giving into individuals, Harry Johnson Holmes, you know, playing guitar and I guess seeing a little bit of personality um, is refreshing. But that's something, obviously, didn't have media duties before with Foxtel. But one thing I've noticed is exponentially the amount that that's gone through the roof now that Channel 9's been involved. Yeah, some, something I've noticed with the rugby media is they, they don't really do a good job of telling the stories of some of the guys and, yeah. you know, showing a bit of character. And I think, like, if, if I know a bit about you, I'm going to be more likely to watch you play than if yeah. you're just a face and a name, if that makes sense. No, no, I agree. Yeah. You know, I think... You know, we miss really good stories. You know, I think Galeed do a great work around guys and their story. I think they do the great job there. And I think 
you know, if I'm being completely honest, media and rugby unions is here to put shit on you. You know, they actually can't be bothered writing good stories because they think bad stories sell, to be honest. And, you know, you hear so many good things, you know, like Jen Holloway, a great mate of yours, doing stuff for Starlight. You hear hardly anything about that. Um, you know, Ned does a lot of stuff for the rural community out at Canamble. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people do that you just don't hear about. Um, and, you know, people that would hear about it would then have a deep connection with the individual and show interest in the game. Um, but that's something that I'm expecting. And what I've seen so far has made a big change in our game. I think it's heading in the right direction, definitely. What, what about leadership around the group? So, obviously, you're a captain on, on game day and, you know, in the media. But has has your role around the team changed or has it just sort of heightened what you do? Like you look more deeply at how you hold yourself and all that sort of thing. Yeah, like I... It's a fairly long-winded question. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> like, you know, we... Like I look at Michael Hooper, for example, we're completely different guys, you know, and, and it, part of it when I first got asked by Rob to, to be captain was daunting because we're such different personalities. Um, and if I was going to attempt to be somewhat like Michael Hooper, I would fail miserably. And, you know, from going from such a group that's used to a personality like that and then changing to something, someone like myself would be a massive shock. And I wasn't sure how the group would react to that. And it's been great. But, you know, I never want to change as an individual around uh, around leadership. You know, I, I feel strongly in leading by example. I really train hard. That's the one thing I do. Um you know, and, and, you know, I don't have the gift of the gab. I'm not going to come up with these heroic things. Um, I'm clear with my messaging. Um, and then from there, I'll, I'll show you what I can do. But, you know, we've got great people in, in, in our leadership group. Um, we've got quite a broad leadership group at the moment. Um, but we've got, obviously, a few young guys in there for de development uh, to see how it actually works. We have someone like Alex Newsom, who's been involved in the Waratahs for a long, long time. He's another guy who's a great trainer. Um, you know, he's the first in at training, the last one to leave. And I think that's really important for a guy that's been involved in a franchise for six or seven years to show young guys what it's about. You know, for myself, I aim to win the yo-yo every time we do it. And I think that's really powerful because I remember watching Nick Phipps do the 1.2. And for a young guy like myself, who I was competing with, I used to watch him and he used to blow me off the park by half a minute. And that's a big margin for halfbacks. And, the effect that he had on the group from doing that for an old, not an old guy, a guy that was 60, 70 cap wallaby to be pushing himself to the absolute limit. Like, I mean, I've never seen anyone really do it. And the effect that he had on the group and the amount of respect he had from that was something that you can say whatever you want, really. You could, you could be a guy who's a great talker in a group, but if you don't back it up, no one cares. You know, I, I love the guy who doesn't say much, but says what he's going to do. And I think that's very powerful. I remember looking at Nick and I wanted to have the same effect on the group. Uh, and I thought that was a perfect example for me in the yoga. Um, but anyway, back to the point around leadership. And, you know, I, we, we meet every start of every week. Um, and we obviously focus on uh, where we can improve in the week. And we divvy up certain tasks to people and they drive that for the week. That's their... Uh, that's their role within the team. And then we review it the following week. Uh, you know, for example, someone might say, Jake, I don't think you're doing this well enough, mate. You need to, uh, um, let's say, I'm just trying to think of an example. Does, does that come from the boys or the coaches? No, from the boys, yeah. This is, okay. this is yeah. So 
we usually meet as a leadership group around just suppliers and then we have one with with the coaches um but we hold people accountable for their role for the week um you know it could be a younger younger guy who's involved in the double d's that's preparing he needs to be across all the detail around the reserves and then he needs to actually project that to the team and show the reserves what the moves are so then they can use them against the the number one team and that shows also uh, a guy who's willing to learn the game a little bit more and they'll actually review and, and understand the game because young guys who haven't been involved in much don't actually know what to look look at when they're reviewing, previewing teams. And I think that's a great development uh, for a young guy, young playmaker, um, young back row and look, trying to learn the game. You know, one guy could be our, our uh, hype man for the week. Um, you know, and his job is to really get guys up. Um, one guy might be... You know, uh, it usually comes with the job. And number 10, usually in the, in, in the leadership groups, our attack guy for the week, he really reinforces our, our attack stuff. We're in a team huddle. I don't actually talk. I look to the attack and D leaders. They tell them what, what the team needs to do. We have a breath, we move on. Um, you know, I didn't want to be a, <clears throat> a captain that talks for the sake of talking because uh, that becomes diluted. Um, but, you know, sometimes you come into holes, you've got nothing to say. And that can be beautiful, but also, you know, you see some guys get awkward, you know, when you think it's silent, it's like, shit, no one knows what they're doing, but you know, sometimes that's perfect. Um, but yeah, a broad leadership group with, with roles divvied up every week and that's reviewed quite heavily the following. Does it change week to week and do the individuals in the group change week to week as well? No. So the leadership group stays the same and, and their role might tweak a little bit, but st it stays around the same pattern. Uh, you don't have guys going from attack to D or, or hype to, uh, what do you call it? Disciplinarian. That stuff doesn't happen. Okay. They stay who, around who, the same sort of field. Who else is in the, in the leadership group for you guys? Yeah, so it's quite a broad leadership group of us. Um, so there's myself... Sam Wikes, um, Houston Clare, Alex Newsom, um, Will Harris, Will Harrison, Tetra Faulkner, Tepon Morrell. It's a bit of experience there. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a great cross around. Uh, I guess, you know, when you think about a younger group, the younger tier who have can have input from the younger guys who might not feel comfortable coming to guys who are more senior. Um, yeah. Heavy Polynesian input. Um, which is very important. And then you have some guys who have been around for a long time who have great ideas like Sam White. So, and also Dave Perky, who's also in there. He's been great for the group. Yeah. Um, where was he? He was at London Irish before, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. So it'd be good to have back. What I was going to ask you, how, where did you grow up? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Newtown, which obviously, you know where that is. <laughs> Man, there's not much yeah. rugby being played there. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Newtown. Um, do you want to fill you in a little bit about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, so I grew up in Newtown um, and really played league and union growing up. Um, played league for Camperdown Dragons, which is right next to City University, and played union for Canterbury Juniors, um, where Tolly Lato and Flowerfing are from. Um, anyway, and then so played league up until probably about 14, 15, and then went to a Christian Brothers school, Lewis and Christian Brothers, where I played league there. Um, and by that point, I was still playing Canterbury Juniors at the time. Uh, and then I got asked to leave Lewis and Christian Brothers. 
uh, politely. It's sort of like a they don't they don't expel you. It's like a this isn't working. Let's move on. And at the time, I had a lot of friends that left as well. And uh, very religious school, and I'm not religious, and I've got nothing. That's just how I am. Um, but and I stopped playing league for them, and uh, one of the main reasons I went there was to play league. But then by that point, I, I really wanted to focus my time on rugby. Um, and there was nothing really bad that happened. You know, I got caught jigging and things that boys everyone does that yeah yeah Yeah. Um, and then i went to blackwater bay which is just year 11 and 12 um by that point um i was playing state champs for sydney uni and jack farrah who used to be involved at sydney uni um, was watching me at one of the games and was like man should come over and ray hart obviously had a big involvement with canterbury then moving across to sydney uni was like I was in year 11 at the time being like, I'm pretty sure it was year 11 being like, you should get involved in our Colts program. And I was like, man, that's because I knew about Sydney Uni, but didn't, had no idea about, I played rugby for fun when I was at that age and didn't know about, because I never got a look in Australian schoolboys or the pathway, the gen blue. I had no idea about that. All I knew was Sydney first grade. And I was like, wow, that's a bit hectic. Um, anyway, I got introduced to the Colts system. Um, and then played Colts, first Colts. So that year played Colts 32s and 1s. Um, and what year next, was this? What year was this? What year would it have been? Must have been year 12. 2011. How, how old are you, by the way? Now? 27. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So you're a young veteran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel old in the group, but I still think I'm pretty young when I think about it. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, I... Uh, Went to Sydney Uni and I was a weird when I first went to Sydney, like everyone knows everyone in rugby circles. Like it's and like I was quite intimidated, really insecure about being from a public school, going to a a Sydney Uni who's prestigious for rugby and uh, really strong affiliation with private schools around their rugby. Um, and you know, I was just like, man, when I first rocked up there, I was like, obviously didn't have any mates, didn't know anyone. Uh, nice guys, but I was just like, wow, this is hectic. Everyone's older than me because I was still, I must have been year 12. It was 2011, I was year 12. And everyone was older than me um, and they all knew each other. And I was like, oh, this is this is going to be hard. But anyway, I played that year, played Colts, threes, twos and ones. And I was, would have been 18 at the time. And then uh, luckily enough, the next year, I debuted in first grade at 19. And I remember that group there. It was like, at the time, Dave Dennis, my mum, Tom yeah. Carter, Jeremy Tills, Paddy Ryan. Uh, Nick was hanging around. Nick, Nick Phipps, Nick Sturzaka. Bernard was around. Mitch Inman was around. Uh, Tim Davidson. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember sitting in the, like this is when I was playing first grade at this point, sitting in the reviews. And man, I was genuinely sweating. Like I, I was wigging out the whole time. Like, And as you know, like Tommy's a pretty abrasive character and so is Tim Davidson. Like they're really quite intimidating and I was so young at the time I just remember just looking at this being like fuck don't pick me like they might be like Jake what the fuck are you doing I'm like fuck honestly don't have a clue <laughs> anyway um, and I, I'm like you know I think about I battled for the number one spot at Sydney Uni for the next three years like Jock Merriman was around Rich Draper was around and 2016 came and the coaches then were Garrett Cowley he's a backs coach, played for small, played for Exeter, but he's a halfback. Great coach, really helped me in my progression. Tim Davidson was the head coach. Um, 
and Benny Roberts uh, was involved in the forwards. And that was the first time they ever went to me, uh, man, this is, I want you to be our starting halfback for the year. Um, and then from there, uh, played some decent rugby that year um, and then kicked on. We played the NRC for the Eagles that year and we made the final loss to Perth. And by that time, I'd been contracted by the Waratahs in 2016, didn't play a game. They, they had Nick Phipps and Matt Lucas at the time who were performing well for them. The Tars were a strong team back then. Uh, so I played the whole year um, and then with the Eagles. And then the next year, finally got my crack at the Waratahs. Um, that's really... <clears throat> so you're, you're almost one of the rare guys that had to earn it. Uh, not that other guys didn't earn it, but you've, you really went through the, the shoot shield system. You really earned it. How did Sydney Uni influence you as a rugby player? I could imagine being around that group would have been almost like a like an injection to your progression, if that makes sense. Yeah, like 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 I said, when I when I played rugby growing up in league, I played fullback, so I didn't really have to make decisions. You know, it's, I was athletic for a younger guy, so I found myself out in space quite a bit. And when I first went to uni. I was about a 15, played a bit of 10. Then I transitioned later into a halfback. Like by the time I, so state champs, I was playing 15, 10. But by the time I got to Colts, I was a halfback. Um, what, why did that happen, by the way? How, how did that have come about? Well, it was probably, so Tolu Latu at the time when I was at Canterbury, I was 10, Tolu Latu was 12. So he was so athletic and he had to pack on weight. You know, Polynesians, Tolu blew out. <laughs> And he uh, and he bullied me out of ten and put me into nine, and I was filthy. And I was like, man, just so Tolly Tom, was a fly half. Yeah, he went from fifteen to twelve to ten to two, two. <laughs> to, eight, to, <laughs> to three to two. You know, and I transitioned down with him. You know, I was played a bit of fifteen. He wanted fifteen. He got it. You know, I wanted to move to ten, twelve. He moved there. I got kicked out again. Lucky he didn't follow me to halfback. And then, <laughs> you know, he. Uh, yeah, he bullied me into into halfback, and um, I'd only probably played a year of halfback before really playing Colts at Sydney Uni. So, man, I threw six o'clock passes all the time. I didn't actually know how to pass a rugby ball. I didn't know how to train. Like you know, I look at uh, looking from the outside. I look at the GPS system, and you know they get individual coaching from young ages. And I wish that I tapped into that early because I didn't know how to pass the football. Honestly, until I went to Sydney Uni and um, Todd Loudon was there at the time who does stuff with halfbacks and I did stuff with him. And that just put me in a routine of, man, to be, you know, to be perfect and not perfect, you know, to be a great pass, you need to put effort in. You can't just naturally, because you've got a bit of hand-eye, think you can wing it and really progress as a halfback. You need to put effort into your skill and really try and master it. Anyway, so he taught me repetitions and uh, balance, opening up your knee, your lead hand going to your target. Before that, I had no idea. Um, and that developed me. And also working hard. Tom Carter is the hardest trainer I've ever seen, along with Nick Phipps. You know, that he, uh, you know, I look at Tommy, had a great career about probably being the hardest worker out there. You know, he, he would, not say overachieved, but really maximised his potential. I, th yeah. I found him on that. Um, and and he'd, be the he'd be the first to admit that as well. Yeah. And that's a great quality. I think, you know, if everyone can do that as a player, you'd have superstars everywhere. 
Um, but uni for me really taught me how to work hard. And, uh, you know, I guess practice my skills a halfback, um, you know, because before that, uh, like I said before, I just thought I'd get away with being an athlete and I'd be able to wing my way up, you know, into the Waratahs. And that, to be honest, if I didn't learn that, if I didn't think I went to Sydney Uni, I don't know if I would be in the position I am today. What? Because I get a number of kids that listen and, you know, to get a bit rugby nerdy just for a sec, what was your routine when you were doing your halfback extras before training? Yeah, so when I, so when I was young, um, I'd honestly just do as many reps as I could. When I first went to the Tars, it's progressed in time. But being young, didn't have any issues with my body. And I think there's a time where you can really go nuts with extras. You know, I think it's great to touch a football as much as you can in the gym, you know, flicking the ball off both hands, transferring the ball, palming off both hands. I think that's really good. Uh, so when I was young, I, I just did as many reps as I could. And now it's developed through time now that I only do reps in sets of five because it got to the point where, you know, when I, once I developed more, I would almost not think about the skill I was doing and I'd almost have conversations, you know, it can get quite distracting. If I do 40 kicks, I can probably say 10 of them would be good because I get so many reps, so I don't care about the, uh, you know, where it lands or my ball drop or my lead foot being at 90 in a balanced position. So now I go and set to five for all my skill-based stuff. So I cherish the opportunity for every single rep. So I've got five, uh, you know, passes off the deck all I focus is on my balance on my approach on balance my knee towards my target and my lead hand being there then my three cues and I cherish those moments so I don't, I'm not having conversations halfway through I actually zone in and focus on them because you end up doing 20 I can guarantee 10 12 in you'll just be not looking and you'll be taking the piss so I've, I've gone from doing a max amount of reps where my body could handle it and I think that's really important for kids' development at a young age to now really honing in on my skill and thinking, what are my cues for my box kick? What are my cues for my pass? What are my cues for my pass off line out? I think it becomes very important so you actually are beneficial in the amount of skill work you're doing. Is that something you've learned over time or was it someone telling you that that made you change your approach? It was a bit of both. So I... <laughs> there was a sports psych in at the Wallabies last year called Dave Diggle. And he did a lot of stuff around preparation for games. And I spoke to him around going into games and it's natural to think, have I done enough? Like that's an automatic, you know, playing games are a bit like, you know, a bit anxious being like, shit, have I done this this week? Have I done that? Am I going to miss this? So I used, I now have a, a plan that I stick to every week and I, make sure I do everything in there. And I actually do a lot less than what I used to do. But me physically seeing the stuff that I've done gives me confidence now to, to go out and perform, you know, and I can live with errors that I make in the game now. Like I used to make errors and I would beat myself down for days. But now that I've said what I was going to do and I've made a commitment to that and I've done that, I can live with making, because I'm going to make errors. I can live with those. But, um, you know, the margin for error is a lot smaller now. You know, let's say if I make 20 box kicks, oh God, I'd hate to know how many I do in a year, but, you know, my margin for error being like five are on the money out of 10 now is that eight out of 10 are really on the money. So, but anyway, this what he taught me was if you set 
a weekly plan that, and you tick it off by you physically say, saying and saying what you were going to do, it reaffirms yourself that you're in a position now to perform. And I actually feel like when I go into games, I know now I've done everything I said I was going to do and I can live with the outcomes that happen after that. So I would say it's a little bit of both. And once he also said that to me, he goes, how many reps are you doing? I'm like, I'd probably do 150 box kicks. Let's just say, for example, he's like, man, now I do 35. So okay. I actually find myself getting better results from my kicks now too. Okay, that's really, really good advice. How has your anxiety changed from when you first started playing Super Rugby and Wallabies to, to now? Do you still get it or is it different? Yeah, it's like it's a different feeling. Like when I first started playing Super Rugby, it was almost like, am I going to be good enough? Um, you know, I because it's the unknown. I like I love running the ball as a halfback. And I always thought, man, what if there's no space for me to run? What's going to be my point of difference now? And, you know, because I'm not the best passing halfback, I'm not the best, you know, kicking halfback, but I believe my point of difference is my running game. Um, and it was a fear of mine being like, man, if I'm not going to be able to run the ball, they're going to find a halfback that can pass better than me. You know, and I, uh, that's obviously developed and changed over time. Um, but that was a fear of mine and it was an anxiety. Now when I come into games, I'm, I'm nervous. It wouldn't matter if I played... Penrith out at Emu Park, you know, I have the same sort of mentality around like, you know, people say, is it hard to get up for games out there? I'm like, when I think about it this way, it's like, if I played a game out at a halfback school, he'd go tell all his mates, he's like, I just showed up the, the, uh, the Waratahs halfback. And that hurts. Like you want to play guys and then go back to their mates about, man, he's, he's a, he's a good player, great competitor. Um, but I get the same reactions between every game. So obviously, bigger games, you have a little bit more anxiety, not anxiety, but a little bit more, uh, you can feel pressure building earlier in the week, but the excitement levels are a lot bigger too. Um, but it's a definite change from probably anxiety when I first started playing to excitement now, which has developed. How did you get told you were going to be a Wallaby? Had the first time? Yeah. Uh, so the first time I was selected, Yes, yeah, so the first time I was, I was involved in the Wallabies my first year when I played Super Rugby. I played three or four games and then I got called into Wallabies camp. Um, was that when Czech was, was the coach? Yeah, when Czech was the yeah. coach. And I had Will Ganyer and Nick Phipps at the time and Joe Powell was around as well. Um, and I spent the next sort of 18 months in and around the mix of Wallabies and then I went over for a spring tour after the 2018 year and Chet came up to me. I think it might have been in Wales. And he's like, you're going to get a chance this spring tour. And I was like, you beauty. It's a pretty sick experience being over in Europe. And, you know, we, we were playing Wales, Italy, England. And uh, he read out the team list for the Wales game. I, I didn't make that team. And I understood that at the time. Wales were a great team performing well. And, you know, it'd be hard. Um, and then the next week came, we played Italy. And I was like, oh, this might be, uh, might be the one. Anyway, he came up to me that morning. He goes, uh, man, I'm going to pick you. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Thinking in my head, I'm like, I'll probably get five minutes off the bench. He's like, no, I'm going to start you. I'm like, right. And we lost to Wales that game. It was a tight game. And we hadn't lost to Wales in eight years or something before that. We had a great record against them. So it was a bit of, we were under the pump a little bit. And I was like, God, this is hectic. This is going to be mad. Anyway, and then trained throughout that week, trained 
quite well. So I was really confident leading into the game. And then like, I remember coming into the game, like for debuts, you're, you're really excited because like, don't want this to sound wrong, but the expectation not is not that you're not going to go well, but like it's your first game ever. And like, it's, you know, I remember on the bus there, I reflected on all the times leading up to it where I was at Canterbury not making teams and then at Sydney Uni playing seconds and third grade and then people telling you you're not good enough or your pass isn't good enough. And I reflected on my whole journey on the bus there and, like, I think I was listening to Hilltop or something at the time and I was like, this is mad. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. It's a great uh, feeling. And then got there, sang the national anthem. I remember I was next to Bernard, played a lot of footy with him. He's a legend. And that was pretty special. Kicked off the game and it was good crowd, probably 30,000 in, in Italy. Actually support, uh, they got a good supporter base over there. And um, 15 minutes into the game, we get front ball off a line out and I throw it's a flat ball, zero ball. To I think it might have been, I have I think Matt Tumor was playing 10, but 12, they intercepted the ball. It's like, man, like this was short-lived. Like, this is it. Anyway, I've turned. Bloke's offside. I'm like, fuck yes, man. I'll get another shot. Anyway, called it back. We ended up winning the game 28-8 or something. Um, it was a tough game. Really expensive game of rugby. Uh, they like to hold the ball quite a bit, especially for a European team. And we, at the time, didn't kick much. So it was a tough game. Um, but really enjoyed it. It was like, you know, I know it's cliche, but... Man, you spend so much time for those moments, you know, even reflecting, having a beer after, just the self-satisfaction I had uh, was sick. Yeah, that's good to hear because I've been talking to a few guys and I always ask, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? And a lot of them said they wish they'd enjoyed it more. So oh. it's, good, it's good to hear that you did enjoy it because they're the little moments that kind of make all the hard work worthwhile, Yeah, I'd imagine. Oh, like a, and. You know, I say to like rugby is the best game. Like you'll you'll meet so many people, like great people, and yet like you know, I I want people to be different. You know, I don't want twenty three guys of the same. It would be fucking boring. Like I want guys to be have their own character. You know, Harry Johnson, home singing, Lockie Swinton, handbutting walls, whatever you are as a person, we should embrace them. You know, and I, but you meet great people along the way. You travel the world. You have amazing nights on the piss. You have great memories on the field. And I say to young guys, I'm like, if you're aspirational to play professional rugby, don't be beat down by not making one team like that. It's bullshit. Like, you're not going to make teams. People are going to tell you you're not good enough. But you're with 15 other guys playing rugby. It's, it's You won't match it anywhere. You know, I, I actually don't think you can replicate rugby union, rugby league environments around mateship. Um, but just you know I've, I've said to everyone I said enjoy the experience playing rugby uh, and in, like just work hard you work hard good things will happen that's really did you have a job before you got a TARS contract yeah yeah so I did uh, when I first left school I did furniture carpentry and I was pretty shit like <laughs> couldn't really like I, I enjoyed the idea of it I was like oh this would be cool like I'll be a tradie you know, I'll be able to make cabinets and stuff. I was terrible. Anyway, six months later, I was like, I think the bike gave me the fleet. And um, and then from there, I uh, I really decided that I wanted to play rugby professionally. I was playing first grade at uni at the time. 
like I said, in and out. And I always enjoyed fitness um, and being outdoors and like, talking to people. I really enjoyed that sort of side. So I decided personal training would be perfect to fit in between the hours that I wanted to train. So, um, you know, I'd wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. and I'd go train people for three hours at a gym in Alexandria. Then I'd go do my own training and then go home and then I'd go train in the afternoon. And then once people finish work, I then go back to work and train people all through the night. And that worked perfectly that I could make an income and then still, you know, have time throughout the day to help benefit me and my rugby. But um, I guess the point I was getting at is you've, you've had experience of the, for lack of a better term, the real world. So yeah. that probably helps you enjoy or, or kind of reminds you that it, it is very fortunate what you guys get to do. And, yeah. and you probably get experiences that like mid 20, 20 year old guys often don't get to have. Mm. And it's probably hard for the young guys to, to remind themselves of that. So probably having someone like you there would be a real benefit to them, maybe. I'd hope so. Like, you know, and I, I say to the guys, I'm like, we, we honestly like, and you hear it said all the time, it's the best job in the world. It is like, you know, obviously COVID's marked around a few, few things, but like when we all talk about going out, like going to South Africa to play in Cape Town against the Stormers at Newlands, which is a great stadium. It's like a holiday, like not a holiday. You're going to work hard. You train hard here. You train hard there. You know, you're in a great part of the world playing in front of, 30,000 people at New Orleans. Like, it doesn't get much better, you know. You have a good win, you know, you have a few drinks that night and you move to Durban, which is on the coast again, and you play against a Sharks team, um, you know, and it's like I look at it as a holiday. I genuinely look at our job like, man, I want to be active anyway and pass the footy around. I do it in my backyard when I'm not even playing training at the Rotars. So getting paid to do that is like absurd really <laughs> so you know I, I tell the guys like man this is honestly the best job we shouldn't be coming in complaining about which they don't do they're a great group they don't complain about anything that's it it's probably because they're so young um but they want to do everything you know we we're out on field for a little bit too long who cares you know um, they, they're great I, attacking training I'm, I'm of the view that uh, a rugby tour is like sex pizza or chocolate cake even when it's bad <laughs> Even when it's bad, it's still fucking good. It's still good, at, yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, that's exactly right. Like it's just, it's awesome. Mate, how was twenty twenty? Ah, twenty twenty was weird. It was. Um, so was it a good year? Off. Was it a good year for you? Because it looked like it from the outside. You know, obviously I don't know you, but outside looking in, it looked like there was some good stuff there as well. So yeah. It, it, like at the start of the year, so we had a pre-season, 1920 pre-season. We came in and it was the hardest pre-season I've ever done. Jed would have spoke to about it. It was like every pre-season is hard, but this was like we were doing 10K sessions and they were like, obviously they were trying to replicate working loads in a game around rest. So we were always on the move. We are going from wrestle, combat, straight line running, conditioning games, constantly on the move. And our breaks were about 30 seconds long because roughly that's what a, a break is like in a game. So we're really fit coming into uh, to the 2020 season. We go over and play the Crusaders round one. Um, and it was a great game of footy. We, end up, we do lose, but we're in it with about 20 to go. I think the six points we're down by. Um, and that was probably the first transition of us losing a lot of guys. We did, we did obviously... Lost quite a few guys after the World Cup. 
anyway, and then we played th- three rounds of, of Super Rugby and COVID hits and we go into lockdown. And I tore my hamstring in the last game. No, sorry. I, I think we played six rounds of Super Rugby. Sorry. And I tore my hamstring in the third game. And it wasn't a bad tear at the time, but there were complications around it. Very close to T-junction. Um, I, I was out for the next five and a half months. Uh, oh, which was, okay. Yeah, it was hectic. Um, and I was super keen to come back. So I'd almost think I'm ready. And I'd, uh, you know, we'd do something. I'd probably go a little bit too hard and bang, it'd go again. It was such a sensitive movement. Like it was hard to explain. It was, I wasn't going top speed. It was like a change of direction at about a 75% would get it. It was really weird. Um, and then I became hypersensitive to it. So I'd always be thinking about it. Yeah. So I'd end up wigging out the whole time. Um, so I had about five and a half months off where I was trying to get this right. Um, selfish way of looking at it, but I was lucky that um, COVID hit. So I wasn't missing that much rugby, even though I wish it really didn't hit, but it worked well for my injury. And then we play, obviously go through another preseason, coming back into Super Rugby AU. Um, and... We actually really developed throughout that COVID block. We started playing some really good rugby. Um, great Super Rugby AU opener against the Reds. They just beat us. Lockie Swinton has a great game um, where it goes after half their forward pack. I come back against the Rebels uh, around four off the bench um, and then started the following week against the Reds. We have a great win at the SCG against the Reds. And then we win – so we lose – one, we win one out of the first four and then we finish year three out of four for out of the last four games. If that went for a little bit longer, we would have made the finals. I think we really could have given them a run. Um, and it suited the way we wanted to play and we trained how we wanted to play. We wanted to play expansive game and we were the fittest team. And we, we genuinely believe that. Um, you know, we, we were a mobile team. We can shift the, the, point, the ball from the point of contact and we can allow our conditioning to really come into the game with quick taps and quick lineouts. And we did that really well. Um, and then um, the Wallaby squad got announced. I was lucky enough to be in that. I was looking pretty – I was a bit sceptical at points, obviously, because I didn't play my training. My hamstring kept turning. I'm like, man, I might not make this, which is probably fair at the time. But I was lucky enough to get four games in late. And I got into that squad. And then we went over to New Zealand to Christchurch. We had to do a quarantine. And then we played that epic game in Wellington, Um which was sick, and then um, yeah, played four more games that year. So if I look back on it, it was probably uh, went from pretty not not dark. It was frustrating with my hamstrings to a year I reflected on. I went that was a great experience um, to myself. And mate, and watching because I like I make highlight reels for a living, so I got to watch every single Australian game, Super Rugby and Wallabies five six times for work yeah. and. You can see that we're going in a good direction. Mm. And I don't think the media is really telling the full story there. We're definitely improving. Definitely. I'd, I'd, no, but I'd, I'd, I would feel sorry for you if you watched more rugby than me. And some of the, and some of the things we're, we're definitely trending in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah. Like we, at the Wallaby level, we've got great, great coaches involved. You know, first time I've ever been involved with Dave Rennie, Scott Wiseman, or uh, Matt Taylor. Um, you got uh, who else is involved there? Jeff Parling, Petrus, Duplessis. Like they are impressive coaches. Do a really great job. 
Um, and I'd heard great things about Dave Rennie and I found his ideas around the game uh, really good. Like his knowledge is great, you know. Uh, and, you know, when you get to that level, when you can find out new information, it's so beneficial. And they all did that. You know, I, when you go into a coaching group and you can see uh, how across they are across their own detail, it gives you confidence. And they are in, I really think that's probably the best Wallaby setup I've seen. Um, so I, I definitely think we're trending in the right area. You, you look at the first game we played them in Wellington. It's a great game of rugby. Probably one of the best games we've ever seen between the two teams. So, um, and you know, the next game at Eden Park. Um, you know, the two errors in Test match footy can lose you a game. You know, you, yep. you're on average have two attacking scrums a game, so it shows how little errors there are, or how much they expose you off counter attack or loose ball. And that day they did that. You know, I remember Caleb Clark had a few great runs. Um, but, you know, that game in itself was actually a, a great contest for a lot of it. Uh, but they really punished us off our mistakes. They gave us, a, yeah, gave us a hiding here at ANZ and then we played really well against Suncorp. Um, so, you know, and they've traditionally been the best performing team for the last 10 years. Like, really, oh, long, longer. Even longer. Yeah. 20, 30, whatever. Um you know, it's not where we want to be, one win, one draw, two losses. Um, but I definitely think uh, with more improvement, uh, you'll see a, great, a, a way better Wallaby turn. Well, I think, you know, in many ways, we're lucky to play New Zealand four times a year. But, you know, we we're also playing the most successful sporting team in history four times a year. Hmm. So, you know, yeah, there's, up, there's, up, there's good and there's bad there i think and you know i say that you know like you really look at it it's like play south africa who are the world cup winners and we play the kiwis like i said before great team like arguably two of the best teams in the world 100 percent. and i and we play them 10 times a year five each possibly i can't i don't know the numbers around it you know like a if you look at it we, the British and Irish Lions in 2016, I think, went over to, to New Zealand and couldn't beat them. And that's the best of their whole year. And I'm not dissing on the North, countries. North Hemisphere, but they're a tough team to play, you know, and I think people forget about that. Um, and we are, like you said, very lucky to play them so much. And it's great for us to try and prove uh, and really test those teams. But, you know, at the same time, the media don't understand, you know, they are a great team and, you know, we are the teams playing the top teams in the world weekly when it comes to the rugby championship. Absolutely. Hey, have you got time for a few random questions and then I'll leave you alone? Yeah. Um, I was speaking to Joey Cotton. He said, I have to ask you about living with Lachlan Swinton. Oh, man, he's like... I don't want to give him too much of a rap, but he's like... He's a best bike. Like, he honestly is such a loyal guy. Um He's great to live with and he's such a personality. Like you're always laughing with him. He just does some of the funniest shit. Like he's honestly like he's out there right now. If I walked out there, I'd be doing something weird, but he's not like a, you know, he obviously looks like a brute. You look at his head, it's all mashed and stuff, but that's genuinely him. Like there's no bullshit. You know, he, the biggest enforcer in the other team, he wants to, be against him off kickoffs whoever that guy is throwing the ball back as hard as he can 
he puts his hand up to be on that side of the kickoff to take him. You know, you just, and it's rare that you see someone, you know, not just talk shit, but actually do something about it, you know, and he's got a great respect for players, but you physically want to challenge him. He's going to take the offer. And, you know, you saw that in the All Blacks game, he plays 30 minutes. And that's the risk that you run with him, you know, because he puts his body on the line and he plays sort of, you know, very close to the risk reward. And, you know, I look at those 30 minutes, I actually think he put us instead to win that game. You know, the way he was, you know, getting off the line, hitting people, counter rocking He was, he was giving it to him. You know, and I, you know, I love that, like, especially playing with him. I played with him at uni. I played with him, you know, for years. And it's like, it's so impressive to see what he does. Such a fit guy for a big guy. You know, he, he almost wins our yo-yos and our 1.2s. He trains so hard. He eats really well. Um, can switch off, loves a beer. But then when training comes, he's full noise. Um, so that's a little bit insight to him. He's a great character. What are you going to do once you finish playing? Have you got any ideas? Yeah, I want to be a PE teacher, I think. You know, I think uh, I'm doing Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science at the moment. Um, and I want to be involved in rugby at some capacity. Um, I, I don't want to be a professional coach, but I want to uh, coach at some level wherever, wherever that may be. But, you know, yeah. still have an involvement in the game. I think it's a great game. Um, and, you know, I think PE teaching, being outdoors, uh, working with kids, helping them develop is something I'm really interested in. Who's the best player you've ever played with or against? Well, let's narrow it down. Let's say halfback. Yeah, I like this. Uh, against? Do you know Toro Caballo? Yeah. Man, I... I, I think Aaron Smith's a great halfback. And I, I, I think he's the best halfback in the world. But I just remember I played Tara Kerbalo in Hamilton in 2017. And, like, he's obviously quite a crafty halfback, quite abrasive, backs himself in contact. And I just remember his influence he had on the game. Like, I got my head through a few times and then he put me in half. Like, I remember we made a breakdown and edge. I'm, was running down, I threw a ball back on the inside to Israel and just his like, uh, just how he imposed himself and like the aura he has around himself, carries himself with a lot of pride, great around contact, really creative ball runner, great flicks. Um, you know, his presence around the defensive breakdown gets on ball quite a lot. He's just that specimen. He was the guy I remember in that game being like, wow, you're the real deal. I uh, found him really impressive. We played him in a trial in 2016 and, he carved us up. You know, there was a scrum that wheeled left side up. So the halfback's quite close to the ball. He throws it back around the back pass to his 10 flat, gets an inside ball, scores under the post. He was a guy that I was just like, man, this guy's a freak. Um, but, yeah, he, he was pretty pretty impressive. Maybe, uh, two more questions. What's your favourite touring location that you've been to? Great question. Man, I, or country, if that narrows it down a bit. Yeah. Like, I, I loved going to England. Uh, I thought that was a cool experience just for the history around Twickenham too. Um, and England's, like, London's a great city. 
Um, so much to do. Um, completely different experience to, to Sydney uh, and quite busy too. Like I, I grew up in Newtown, which is like, as you imagine, just off the city there. Heaps yeah. of weed pads, so heaps are going on. That's why I enjoy a little bit more up-tempo uh, stuff to do and London was awesome. And then like, I remember I didn't play that game at Twickenham, but like man, the atmosphere around that ground and the history there was sick. Uh, I'd say that was probably my most memorable touring experience. Mate, last question, and I, I ask everyone this because I'm, I'm really curious about what the answers might be. What what advice would you give 18-year-old Jake Gordon? Um, well, like like I said before, like the enjoyment factor is huge. Like, you know, if I, if I could speak to myself, I'd say remember to enjoy the experience you're going to have, um, but work hard. Um, and really focus on the details of your position. That would be it for myself. Beautiful, mate. Perfect way to end. Mate, I really appreciate it, man. You're, you're uh, a legend. No, thank you very much. And I'm sorry I've been terrible on my phone. No, you're right. You're <laughs> um, right. I'm sorry yeah, about all the noises no, I, in the background. No, that's uh, no. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome. You know, any any time I can uh, get on a podcast and talk about the game is awesome. Thanks, bro. Thank enjoy you. the enjoy the rest of the down week. No, enjoy awesome. the rest of the year. Thanks, Duncan. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Jake. See you, mate.